I want you to open your Bibles this morning back to Psalm 25, which we read in a congregational reading a few minutes ago. For any that would hear this set of tapes or view this video, I want them to see the verse that we began with in Psalm 25. It's too bad that they can't also sing number 33 in the old school hymnal, a song called Adoration, in which praise is given to God's rich and distinguishing grace. I want to teach you and teach me, and I want the Lord to teach us all about the mysteries of hidden wisdom, secret societies and pagan religions and occult organizations usually have mysteries. Even the Catholic Church has its mysteries, which they think are mysteries, but are simply their hallucinations. The Bible is filled with mysteries that natural man by all of his study, research, education, and abilities, and intellectual capacity can never find. And God has chosen to reveal it only to a few, and only in these last days. We are most blessed. We have mysteries. And they are hidden from all others. And they are revealed to us for His glory. And they show us the great glory that he's ordained for us. You will be surprised in this study at how many times the Lord is going to refer to things that he has hid from most men and revealed them in the New Testament to a few. It is going to surprise you. I hope it's a whole lot more than surprise, though. I hope that there's a great deal of thanksgiving and love for the God that has loved us and had mercy upon us. So please be patient, and let's consider these verses one at a time and move into this study. May God have mercy upon us. O Lord, please bless us now and teach us thy truth. Psalm 25 and verse 14 says plainly, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. This verse tells us that the Lord has a secret because it's His, the secret of the Lord. That is a genitive construction telling us that the Lord has a secret. We're going to find out that He has more than one. But here it's used in the singular. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Those that fear God, God will come and reveal things to them that are not known by other men and cannot be known by human learning. I want you to remember that when the Apostle Paul would preach in the book of Acts, he would enter an assembly of men and he would stand up and he would say, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. The Apostle Paul never stood on a street corner. He never went to the brothels. He never went to the high schools. He never went to the circus. He never went to a rescue mission. 
He went to the synagogues where God was worshipped. And he said, Whomsoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we read in Psalm 25 and verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Because it's to them that God will reveal the secrets and the mysteries of His hidden wisdom. And He will show them His covenant. God has an incredible covenant. It is His last will and testament based on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It includes unspeakable benefits and blessings. It includes a reserved inheritance, reserved in heaven for all those that are beneficiaries of that covenant. And He only shows that covenant to those that fear Him. And that covenant has been kept secret from the foundation of the world, but has been revealed in the New Testament by His apostles and prophets. You know a secret, and that is the covenant of God. And that covenant includes all the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of His accomplishments, His virgin birth, His incarnation, His ascension, His resurrection, His glorification at the right hand of God, His supremacy over the universe, and His everlasting love for His people, and the union that He has with them that is like a man and his wife that will never be dissolved, and that will take us into heaven, and will be united with Him forever where we will inherit God. That is a secret that can never be discovered in any laboratory or by any amount of intelligence or study. That's right. It is a blessing of God. And so I turned you to Psalm 25 and verse 14 because we read that already this morning. But that isn't my text that I want to start with. I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. I do not know how to speak. I do not know how to tell you these things. So you have to overlook the speaker and consider the words. Try to see the content in spite of my delivery. Try to see with your eyes the printed word that God has given to us in his scriptures as I try to put a sense upon some of these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul speaking of himself and other apostles and preachers of the gospel. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. God has ordained things before the foundation of the world for our glory. He's ordained them, He's appointed them, He's purposed them, they will certainly come to pass. God has planned things that are certainly going to occur. And these things are called the wisdom of God because it is by His wise design and it exceeds all the natural creation to see His wise design in the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And it is called the mystery of of God, And it is called the hidden wisdom of God because it has been hidden from all natural men and because it has been hidden from ages and from generations and revealed unto us by his apostles and prophets. It's unbelievable. Amen. Men will join secret societies in this world and they'll join pagan religions yep. and 
occult organizations, whereas they pass through stages and levels of initiation and learning, they have more and more little secrets and mysteries revealed to them. And those are all make-believe games. But brethren, we have been born again by the power of the Spirit of God, and He has caused us to come into this assembly where you have before you a pitiful, unworthy, incompetent speaker who is going to reveal to you, by the Word of God given by inspiration, mysteries kept secret since the foundation of the world, of the glory that is in Christ Jesus. We know things that natural men cannot know. There is no institution of higher learning in our nation or in our world that can discover these things. They are in total darkness about all of them. Many wise men and many prophets and many kings have desired to look into these things and could not because they were hidden wisdom. And I want to reveal it to you by the mercy of God. How blessed and special do you feel this morning? Do you have any clue as to God's mercy that he has shown toward you? Precious little. We are the most blessed of men. Amen. Abraham, the friend of God. He didn't even know God. His knowledge was so inferior to Moses, they can hardly be compared. And when we read about Moses' knowledge of God, according to the book of Hebrews, all he saw were some pitiful shadows. Right. We have the reality and the substance mm-hmm. because the Apostle Paul wrote it down for us in his epistles. If you don't feel special and incredibly blessed, you haven't learned Jesus Christ rightly. We know a secret. 2,000 years ago, a little virgin girl, a virgin girl, had a baby. There's 1.2 billion people in China. They don't know that secret. There's a billion in India. They don't know that secret. The North American Indian tribes lived and died and were buried without knowing that secret. And I've got more to tell you. 2,000 years ago, a little girl that was a virgin in the hill country of Judea had a baby. And the father of that baby was the infinite God. And this whole universe, every planet, every star, every solar system, every galaxy moves and is held together and exists as just a little backdrop for this grand drama of the hidden mystery and wisdom of God. But he's revealed it to us by his holy apostles and prophets. And we have it in the word of God. And you have the spirit of God within you. So if you are God's this day, as I speak it, you'll know that what I'm saying is true. And as I speak it, if you have no unconfessed sins in your life, but you have sought God and repented of your sins, you will love what I have to tell you. It's our sins that hinder these things. And we must hate sin and humble ourselves and be the meek of the earth. And confess that our sins are great and that we're unworthy. 
and beg him to teach us. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. I'm going to tell you about mysteries. They're mysteries because they are unknown to men. They're mysteries because you can't learn them. They're mysteries because they're God's secrets. And he has to reveal them to us. That's even called the hidden wisdom. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory. God has ordained some things for our glory. There is nothing glorious about any of you this morning. And there is nothing glorious about your pastor. And in ten years, there's going to be nothing glorious about any of you. But there are things ordained to our glory. When it says ordained, that means God has purposed and planned and appointed things that are going to make you glorious, and you're going to enjoy glory. And they were done before the foundation of the world, but they are the hidden wisdom of God, and they are a mystery. That's what we're studying. I'm going to magnify the grace of God, His glorious grace in salvation, in the gospel, and in His ministers. Will you consider the history of the world with me for just a minute? For 1,656 years, from Adam to the flood, men married, had children, lived, worked, and died. And they lived wickedly. And there were only a few that feared God and called on the name of the Lord. The God-blessed descendants of Enos and Seth. For 1,656 years, God allowed man to multiply and sin until he drowned them all in the flood. The only things they understood were greed, lust, sin, their own pleasure, rebellion against God, and abusing other people in order to get what they wanted. That's all they understood. That's all the natural man understands. God allowed them to live, and he drowned them in a flood and sent their souls to hell. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. And he was told a secret. Big rain is coming. The fountains of the deep are going to be opened. The windows of heaven will be opened. The fountains of the deep will be broken up. The windows of heaven will be opened. He was told a secret. Did it do him any good? Amen. Oh, yes. And then God closed the door of that ark so it didn't get overcrowded, did it? It had room for eight men and women, and that eight, those eight men and women were saved from that flood. For 2,400 years after the flood, until Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he left the nations to walk in their ignorance. The Apostle Paul stood up on Mars Hill where the greatest philosophers of the world gathered and tried to think about where they came from and what their purpose was and where they were going. And Paul said that he knew it all, and he said, God has let all you foolish nations walk in your ignorance in times past, and he winked at it because he didn't really care. But now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in the which he's going to judge all men by that man whom he hath appointed, even Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle Paul told them a few secrets that day, but do you think it meant anything to them? No. No. They, They laughed him off and closed him down, and he left. Oh, but brethren, there was a Dionysius the Areopagite. He was there. Dionysius was there and he heard those secrets. And something in his heart said, those secrets are true. Jesus Christ has been appointed. God is going to judge this world. 
we do worship God ignorantly. This idea of thinking that we can make a statue and a temple to God is ridiculous. I'm going to follow that man and see what else he can tell me. And so Dionysius, the Areopagite, followed the Apostle Paul and was taught more of the hidden wisdom of God. And the rest of them, (laughs) did you hear that idiot that we just had in here? Saying that there's a God that gave one blood to all men and has put breath in all of us and that he is not worshipped in temples made by hands. <laughs> that a man's going to judge the world. We know that Zeus is going to... Oh, forget it. They do not know the secrets of God nor his hidden wisdom right. because it's hidden from them. The greatest, most educated, the highest IQ'd men that could be assembled at that time were in Athens, Greece. And they didn't know anything. When the Bible says there is no light in them at all, do you want to take those words and say there's quite a bit of light, but just not enough? Mm -hmm. You take what the Word of God says, there is no light in them at all. They don't know where they came from or where they're going. They don't know what their purpose is, nor if there's another being in the universe. They don't know if there's life after death or not. They think that there could be an explosion of matter in the universe and order could come out of chaos. That's how educated and intelligent they are. They're fools. And God has said, I will destroy every one of them, but I'm going to take them down just like I took the Egyptians down by taking the wheels off their chariots because I'm going to take the wheels off their learning because I'm going to make them into fools. And by his grace and only by his grace, he took a few of those fools because by nature we chose the very same way and he revealed his secrets to us. For 2,400 years until the time of Jesus Christ, he left all those nations to walk in their ignorance. Brethren, I want you to think about this, please. During that time, there was an obscure, shadowy, weak, pitiful, beggarly, those are God's words for it, ceremonial way of worshiping God in Israel. It was pitiful way to worship God. And there were no attempts made by God or his people to ever spread that truth, even though it was obscure, pitiful, and beggarly, to any other nation. All other nations were to be ignored and or annihilated. But there was a little group of people that God set his affection upon them. We read about it last night in our devotions in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says that God set his love upon Israel and chose them to be his special people above all the peoples of the earth. And do you know why he loved them? The next verse tells us, because the Lord loved them. Amen. I like that. He chose to love them because he will have love on whom he will have love. He will love whom he will love. He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. Amen. And he said, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of all nations or the mightiest. I chose you because you were the smallest of all nations. How many missionaries did they send out? How much truth was communicated from Israel to other nations? None. God left them all in ignorance. Little babies were born. Little mommies got all excited about their little boys growing up. Little excited mommies became decrepit old ladies. And they died. Little boys grew up and got killed in stupid wars. 
and then they all got to go to hell. You say, that sounds so unfair. No. What you're saying is so hard. No. There was a choice made one day in the Garden of Eden. Our first parents thumbed their nose at that great God that had created them and put them in a place called paradise and blessed it abundantly, gave them to each other, and we turned our backs on God and chose Satan, trouble, death over God. Adam understood. He knew he wasn't going to die physically that day. He knew that it was spiritual death away from God that God had promised the day that he ate that fruit, and he chose that. He was the wisest one of us that ever lived. And he chose it, and so it is totally fair with God for God to give us what we chose. But I want you to think that only one nation on earth had any of the revelation of God. All the rest were ignored. For the last 2,000 years since Jesus Christ, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. But most have not heard it. As most of the world has remained in abject darkness, ignorant superstition, rebellion, and Christ-hatred. For the record of Acts shows us that when the apostles would go into a foreign nation and into an unknown strange city, they would not stand on street corners and hand out tracts, but they would go to the synagogue in that city. And the Bible tells us very plainly, and did I not almost bore you by pointing that out as we studied the book of Acts, how many times the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that Paul would go to the synagogue because it was in the synagogue where the worship of God, as it was then revealed in the world, was being observed. And so Paul would go to the synagogues and preach Christ and him crucified. Paul did not go to every door. Paul did not go on every street corner. He did not cover every block. He went into a city. He went to the synagogue. He preached there for a few weeks, maybe a few months, in a couple of cases, a couple of years, and he left. The vast majority have never heard it because God has kept it hidden. Many came to Jesus Christ while he was alive on earth, and this is so hard for people to understand. Many came to listen to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ spoke to them in parables. A parable is a difficult saying. It has hidden meaning. The, the, the definition of a parable is hidden meaning. Our world, because it cannot accept the truth about God and His discriminating, distinguishing grace, has rejected the definition of a parable and, intend, and instead made it this. That a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to make it simple for common folk to understand the Bible. But that isn't the case. A parable, go read the first chapter of Proverbs. A parable is a difficult saying. And when Jesus would address the crowds in parables, the disciples would pull him aside and say, Why are you, why are you preaching in parables? Don't you know that they can't understand you? Amen. And he said, of course I know they can't understand me. But it's not given to them to understand. These things are hidden from them, and I'm going to keep right on speaking in parables. But I'll explain it to you because these things are given to you. No one wants to hear that gospel. They reject that. They cannot stand the God that would treat men that way because they think too highly of themselves. But that is the nature of our God, and that is how Jesus Christ conducted himself on earth. 
when he sent his apostles to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they went out preaching to every sort of man of every creed and color that feared God. They didn't go and indiscriminately offer truth or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to all men. They went after those that feared God. That's why they always went to synagogues. When a Cornelius would come and ask to hear all things that are commanded thee of God, Peter could preach quite a sermon. Otherwise, he'd turn a deaf ear and go on down the street. So would Paul. When these people for the last 6,000 years would be unthankful and they wouldn't give God the glory that's revealed even in his natural creation. When they went out at night and saw the sun and the moon and the stars, and when they went out during the day and saw the sun and they did not give God glory, he gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient to show the depravity of the human heart by leaving them to their ignorance so that they would do things that are perverse. And if you would have left us, we would do the same thing. It is only by the grace of God, and it is grace and grace and grace that we must praise with their lips today and tomorrow and until our lives end, and then we'll take up the song of grace anew in heaven above. The vast majority of mankind by the evidence have been the vessels of wrath. What if God, willing to show his wrath, willing to show his wrath, God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, He wanted to show men what power he had. Endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. What if God did that? Is he righteous? Amen. Amen, he's righteous. We deserve it. We deserve it. And he did it. And that's Romans chapter 9, verse 22. And if you're wondering where it tells us that God gives men over to a reprobate mind so that they can't even understand that a man ought to desire a woman for sexual relationships... That's in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Because it is perverse, and it is the evidence that our generation, with the billions and billions that we have thrown at education, with our research labs, and all the honorary doctorates, and all the earned PhDs, we now have higher learning that endorses what they call the alternative lifestyle, which the Bible calls sodomy, and is gross perversity, and is an abomination to the Lord. But he is behind it, because they were unthankful and did not give glory to the Creator, but rather to the creature, man himself in our generation, and so God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. There is no unrighteousness with God, for man willingly chose to rebel. Man chose to be the enemy of God. Man's wisdom... Man says he has wisdom. The Bible's going to refer to man's wisdom as we look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What kind of wisdom does he have? He's declined in his understanding as education has increased. We do not live in an enlightened society. How do you call it an enlightened society when the most intelligent and best educated in our nation think that we came from monkeys? When I put it that way, you almost conclude to yourself that we must be mistaken someplace, and they really don't believe that. No, they do believe that. They do believe that, and they require that that be taught. But the strange notion that there is a creator God, that cannot be taught. 
because that is just foolishness. I mean, that's ridiculous to think that there might be a supreme being that created lesser beings like men. Now, that's ridiculous. And so they preach and teach and require that we came from monkeys. Now, that's the wisdom of man. Why is man so dark? Because he sinned against God, and God has pulled the blinders over his eyes and left him ignorant. Why don't we believe that we came from monkeys? Because God has had mercy upon us, opened our souls, and has shined his light into our souls and revealed that he has created us, and through faith we understand it and believe it and are fully persuaded of it. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. They have rejected all concepts of a deity. If you mention God or have prayer or even a moment of silence now, they want to condemn it. They have made man their own savior. And that if all men would get together, they could improve the world greatly without any divine help. Men live and die. And they create an information explosion. And they're more educated than ever. They can read more. And there's books for the first time in the history of the world, the last few generations. And they die, and they still don't know anything. Adults of great years and much education and wide experience know no more than infants that come into this world. They still don't know where they came from. They still don't know where they're going. They still don't know if there is another being in this universe. They still don't know if there is life after death. They still don't know their purpose. They're no better at the end of a long life of education than they were when they came in from their mother's belly. All of man's newspapers, magazines, textbooks, seminars, research labs, and universities have lots of information, lots of speculation, lots of hallucination, but they don't have a clue about true wisdom. Not a clue on any part of it. Right. Because it's been hidden from them. And this ought to be so exciting to you that God has revealed things to you and hid it from them. Because he said, Father, I thank thee, Father, For thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Amen. I thank thee. The Lord Jesus Christ looked around. He saw the high IQs and the doctorate degrees over here. Didn't understand a thing. He looked his other way and he saw the publicans and the harlots dropping down on their faces, blessing God and believing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Now everyone today would have you believe that he lifted up his eyes to heaven and say, Father, I pray that you'll reveal these things to the wise and prudent also. But no, Jesus wanted them hid from them, so that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Amen. There'd be no glory in man or in man's education. I'm saying things that are totally contrary to what is supposed to be said today. It's taught as a fundamental principle of truth that if there is a God, he must love all men indiscriminately and equally because to make a difference among men would be totally unfair. Now, who said that? Who came up with that? Satan did, and men have believed that lie. God never said that in his word. Just go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and see how he chose Israel. 
But what I'm saying is totally contrary to that. I'm saying that God has made a huge difference among men. It's now taught universally that God owes mankind, if there is a God, he owes mankind the truth, and he is truly trying to get it to all men. God doesn't want all men to have the truth. God only wants a few men to have the truth. That is the truth of God's word. That is one of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's why he spoke in parables. Even when Jesus Christ stood here on earth, the blessed Savior, perfect in every way, full of love, and the Holy Ghost hid what he said from most and revealed it to a few. It is not a universal axiom of truth that God owes us truth and is trying to get it to us. Brethren, let's look in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was being attacked by the Corinthian some in the Corinthian church because they had some other preachers that they liked also, and they were trying to put Paul down. And so Paul's going to defend himself a little bit here in the first few chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is one glorious chapter. But before we get to it, I want to give you a little context by looking at chapter 1 and then chapter 3. Every word in these verses is wonderful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul, really realizing because someone reported to him the division and envy that was going on in the church at Corinth, is glad that he had only baptized a couple of them. And he tells us in verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul's primary function was not actually baptizing, and he certainly didn't baptize in his own name, and he certainly didn't try to make disciples that would think I was baptized by Paul. His purpose was to preach the gospel. Other men did the baptizing. When he did do the baptizing, he made sure that they understood they weren't being baptized in his name. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Can, can, you under, can you hear the second half of that verse? Paul preached the gospel not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Today, if you go to seminary or a Bible school, you are taught that you ought to learn more of the wisdom of words in order to be able to get more saved, in order to help the cross of Christ. By presenting it more attractively. Look at what the apostle says. I didn't use wisdom of words. Lest. Because the wisdom of words would defeat the purpose of the cross. And the purpose of the preaching of the cross is twofold. One. To make everyone that is not one of God's elect hate it. Or exposed as fools. And two. That God's elect will be revealed because they're going to believe it with great passion, regardless of how it's spoken. It is a two-edged sword. We're not going to flip very often until we get out of 1 Corinthians, but I have to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. What I am saying is so contrary, it is hard to tell you. 
I have heard the other side so many times. It's hard to tell you. It's hard for me to think that you'll believe me. But it's the truth of God's word. Second Corinthians 2 verse 14, Paul said the same man writing to the same church after they read that first epistle. Now he says, now thanks be unto God. 2 Corinthians 2.14, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. When Paul preached the gospel, he was revealing the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that revelation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ was a sweet-smelling savour coming up to God, but it was coming from two different Sources, two different altars of incense. Notice what they are. Verse 15, for we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savour of death unto death. The apostle Paul would preach Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God and reveal things about Jesus Christ and there would be men in the audience that would scoff at it and walk away and not come back again? Well, as they walked away and scoffed at it, incense would come up into the presence of God because the precious, blessed, glorious, beautiful message of Jesus Christ was being rejected by them, which showed that hell's fires were made for them. And that they deserve hell because of the way they were treating God's message. It manifests the fact that they were dead, dying, and would die the second death when they meet Jesus Christ in that great day. That's in verse 15. That's one altar of incense. That was the first part of 16. And to the other, the savour of life unto life. Then there are men that hear that there's a God, a creator God, that we sinned, that we're all sinners, that we deserve eternal judgment, but that a sacrifice has been provided in Christ Jesus of a virgin-born woman named Mary, the incarnation of God among men, Emmanuel, God with us, who's now seated at the right hand of God, ruling over all principalities and powers, and will soon judge the earth. And men hear that, and they believe it, and they fall on their faces and say, God is in you of a truth. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And you know what? Incense comes up into the presence of God because his elect have just been found by the preaching of Jesus Christ's cross without any eloquent or enticing words. Now, if we use enticing words of man's wisdom, we're going to get some of those non-elect to stay. If we use enticing words of man's wisdom, we're going to so cloud the glory of Christ that God's elect will be disappointed. Because there are no good words that can add to the luster of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is known in the heart by men that are taught by the Spirit of God. And so who is sufficient for these things? 2 Corinthians 2.16. That's a rhetorical question. What's the answer to that question? No one. No one is sufficient to fully understand or to be worthy of participating in transaction like that. Preaching Christ crucified, there's two altars of incense. You don't like it? Here's what Paul would say. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. And that's what's going down today in most pulpits, a corruption of the word of God in order to make it palatable for reprobates. 
We are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul would not modify the message to multiply the hearers. He would not modify the message. We come back to 1 Corinthians 1, 17. I hope that you see in the second half of verse 17 a contradiction of the entire educated ministry. You don't need to be educated to be a good minister. But couldn't a good education help a minister? No, it couldn't. Not if you're going to trust God's word. Amen. Give me some simple farmer that God has called. You know, a simple man like Peter, who whenever he opened his mouth, anyone that knew proper grammar, anyone that knew proper speech, would know that he was an unlearned man as soon as he opened his mouth. Dangling modifiers, messed up sentences, confused speech sometimes, getting things out of order. But I'm telling you, he preached Jesus Christ. I can understand right plainly when he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Do you need help with that sentence? But he didn't speak like Tertullus with the vain words and puffed-up words of man's imagination. That verse right there condemns them. Instead of humbling before God and learning the sovereignty of God, that it's all a work of the Spirit of God, they go and think they can help the Spirit of God by getting an education. Let's make sure we buy McKnight's book of illustrations so that we have 12,000 sermon illustrations to use. Oh, yes! We want nice, interesting stories to tell in our preaching because people like those stories, and they often will remember the story even though they forgot your text. Will God have mercy on us? Right. If you remember some stupid story and forget the text, right. which ones win the preacher boy contest? The ones that know Christ the best? The ones that know his word the best? Or the ones that have a gift for oratory? And oratory has never saved anyone. Right. In fact, it's made the hearts of many righteous sad. And it's strengthened the hands of many wicked not to depart from their sins. That's all in the second half of verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Is the preaching of the cross inherently foolishness? Is the preaching of the cross truly foolishness? Is it actually foolishness? No, the preaching of the cross is received, understood, or considered as foolishness by those that are going to hell. They hear the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ and say, what a ridiculous thing. Some man hung on a cross, and by hanging on a cross, those that he died for go to heaven when they die? That's ridiculous. That's absurd. That's how they, what they think of it. The second half of the verse is it to be understood the very same way. But the preaching of the cross is to them which are saved. 
Those that are already saved, born of the Spirit of God, given ears to hear and a heart to understand. When they hear the preaching of Christ, they see in it the power of God. The power of God to reach down into this mess and mass of fallen humanity and to save the vessels of mercy by the glory of Christ. And they see it as the power of God. And the others see it as foolishness. And so we have two altars of incense with incense and the smoke of it coming up into the presence of God, a sweet savour to God, no matter how you treat the message of Christ. You want to consider it foolishness? So be it. You're proving your death. You love it? You're proving your life. But I want you to notice something, brethren. It took a salvation for anyone to receive that preaching as the power of God. The salvation came first, then the hearing of that message and responding to it. The idea that preachers of the gospel go into a room of a bunch of sinners that are perishing and preach the gospel and they get saved by hearing something and obeying it is totally absurd in light of the scriptures. Totally absurd. Because a man that is not saved and is perishing, there is only one response he has to the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's ridiculously foolish. There is no middle ground of people who are slightly disposed to it. If they act like they're slightly disposed to it, they must see some carnal advantage in being a member of that church. They don't want to let their family down. Never is it because there's a love in their heart of it and a knowledge that they see it as the power of God. Paul did not use enticing words to keep Christ's cross a two-edged test. He wanted anyone that believed it to believe the preaching of the cross of Christ because God had done a work in their life and they were his elect. And he was not going to make it prettier than it was so that those who were not his elect would despise it. And so Paul kept the words of man's wisdom out of the preaching of the cross. And here's why it was done this way. Because God knew what man wanted to hear. Man. What do we mean when we say man? When we say man, we mean those that in the Garden of Eden despised their creator and chose death and Satan and lies over life, God, and truth. That's what we mean by man. That man deserves hell, which means we all deserve hell. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 1, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God looked down and he saw wise men who were educated, who thought they were intelligent, who did a lot of philosophizing and speculating about the origin of the universe and the purpose of man. He looked down at all of them and he purposed to destroy their wisdom and to bring to nothing the understanding of all their prudent. He says in verse 20 with rhetorical questions mocking them, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Amen. Oh, they've invented the automobile. Oh, precious. We get to go from point A to point B faster than we went before. But because we get to go from point A to point B faster than we could before, now we go to point C, D, E, and F also, so that our lives, are they better off than they were before? I'm not sure. You want to call that wisdom? 
the man that invented the automobile, whether you want to give it credit to the German or the American, it doesn't matter. He came into this world knowing nothing and he went out knowing nothing. He still didn't know where he came from, where he was going, and if there was another being in the universe. He still didn't know his purpose or what was going to be after death. Because God's destroyed all of their wisdom. Verse 21, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. God, in his wisdom, looked down and saw that in all of man's wisdom, they were never going to know him. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So he picked the means for us to learn about him, and that's the foolishness of preaching. Look what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you that there are secrets of the universe that you little people from this little person can understand. And that is how God reveals himself to us. He gives us his spirit inside also, but he also reveals it through the preaching of the cross. God in wisdom looked down and saw what man needed, didn't give it to them. He brought it by the preaching of the cross so that the elect would understand, would learn, and would know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And the only ones that ever could or would believe are God's elect who have been regenerated, given the ability to hear and to believe. Verse 22, here's what God saw also. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. God knew what the Jews wanted. God knew what the Greeks wanted. As I have said before, he did his market survey. You know, churches today take market surveys to know what they ought to, how they ought to construct their church from an external viewpoint of the building and the programs they ought to have to appeal to whatever socioeconomic neighborhood that church is in. Well, God did a market survey. The Jews want signs. The Greeks want wisdom. And so he preached Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. He gave them the very opposite that would turn them off. Why doesn't anybody understand that? Why can't they read that? I'm going to tell you why. This is hidden wisdom. Even though it is on a printed page, they cannot understand it. There are universities and churches thinking that they are still trying to fulfill the Great Commission, though they must deny 90% of it by their own definition, but they still think they're trying to fulfill it in adapting the gospel and making it as palatable as possible. Every compromise that has occurred in Christian churches over the last hundred years has been defended as we need to win the lost. And to win the lost, we've got to get down to the level of the lost. Paul never got down there. He said, but in sincerity, but as of God speak we the truth in Christ. God wouldn't get down. God wouldn't even get down to Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates because the Greeks wanted wisdom and he wouldn't get down to them. He preached Christ crucified from by simple men. A man that hung on a cross. Oh, what a mystery, brethren. There's a mystery in the man that hung on that cross. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of the universe, but they don't see it that way. That's the mystery that we know. I hope that you understand that God hides his wisdom. When God looked down and saw that men did not understand him, did not know him, couldn't find him out by their wisdom and learning, he chose by the foolishness of preaching to save believers. 
which is you and me. As he constructed that message, he constructed it with the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified because he knew the Jews would stumble over that and because the Greeks would count it foolishness. And the only ones that would consider it the power and wisdom of God would be those of his elect that he had already chosen to eternal life. We pre- Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. The gospel itself is not power or wisdom. The gospel itself reveals power and wisdom, and those that are saved, the elect of God, hear it, understand it, and receive it that way. Those that are not, both Jews and Gentiles, stumble at it, are offended by it, resent it, and count it foolishness. All of the differences of God. But those little elect of His that are living in this world, made fun of by the wise and the prudent as being ignorant, the peasants of society, God reveals the hidden wisdom of the mysteries of the universe to them. In verse 25 it says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus Christ became a fool for our sakes. And Jesus Christ became weak for our sakes. But I want to tell you something. In In his foolishness of being made a fool for our sakes, in his weakness of humbling himself for our sakes, he was wiser and stronger than men. Amen. And the mystery and the glorious hidden wisdom of salvation by Jesus Christ is greater than anything ever any man could ever devise. Verse 26 goes on to say, For ye see your calling, brethren. I have told you this before. Look around. Ye see your calling, brethren. If we survey this room and think about each person as our eyes lands on that person, we see our calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world, of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God has chosen the simple, the base, the foolish, the poor, of this world, and he has saved them through Jesus Christ, and he has sent them the message of the gospel. They hear it. They believe it. They have all the answers to all the questions. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Is there another being in this universe? What, what is after death? What is sin? Are there consequences for sin? What is the salvation from sin? We have all the answers to all questions. Amen. And we're the base, poor, and foolish and despised things of this world. And you you should be able to look around it in an assembly and know that that is true. And if you can look around an assembly and see the wise and the noble and the rich of this world, you know that you went in the wrong door that Sunday morning. You're not in a church of Jesus Christ. Couldn't be. Right. Verse 30. Who gets all the credit? But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is made unto us who of God. Do you, when, that, when verse 30 says, but of him. That's telling you how you get in Christ Jesus. God chose you in Christ Jesus before the world began. But then it says, of God again, it says, who of God is made unto us wisdom. God shows in Jesus Christ all of his wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of our salvation is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Amen. And we have it because of God. And God gave it to us, and then God tells us about it. He tells us about it through the preaching of the gospel, and we're going to study it further this evening as we go into chapter 2, that God has prepared things for us that eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, but they've been prepared, they're ordained, and they're revealed by His Spirit, and we know them. We know the answers to all the questions. There's an eternal inheritance waiting for us, and we're going to spend eternity worshiping Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And brethren, if the princes of this world had had even a little inkling of who Jesus Christ is going to be in the end, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. We know all that he is. Why? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.